0: Kathy Campbell and I'm Julia Scott, and there are good things every week. We share our tiny joys, something good in the news, and a general good thing that will hopefully make your day a little better.
1: So, what's your tiny joy this week?
0: My tiny joy is this kind of silly thing that's happening um, in my uh, neighborhood friends group type thing. Is we're doing corn tagging. I just saw that on your on your feed. Yes. And it gave me so much joy. So basically what this is, is you have to take a picture, not showing any sort of address or like geotagging or anything. So it's still like socially safe. Um, But take a picture in front of a friend's house and tag them uh, on Facebook or whatever social media you're using. Then they have to go and tag somebody else. So it's a way to get exercise. We make sure to mention, you know, don't touch anything. Don't be too close or whatever.
1: But kind of like a scavenger hunt to make you feel like your your walk has a purpose.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And yesterday we were tagged by my daughter's dance coach. And then we went and tagged one of her best friends. And it was super fun because the picture that her friend that our friend posted of her daughter was hilarious because she had, you know, the shocked emoji face. Mm-hmm. That was basically it in a 12 year old girl and it was adorable and we did um, chalk on the sidewalk that said corn tagged Um, and it was just really fun and so I'm hoping that this spreads a variety of places because everyone can use a little tiny joy.
1: That sounds really nice.
0: What about you, Julia?
1: I'm just thinking about when I'll have outside privileges again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My tiny joy is kind of weird, kind of silly. It's a miniature dent puller. Uh, So it's I can post a a picture because it's kind of hard to explain. But basically, it's like a round flat thing that you hold against the side of a car, just like a piece of, of metal on a car. And you flip a little switch and it kind of creates a vacuum so that you can then pull on it and pull out a dent in the car. That is the purpose of it. They have them in different sizes. But what it also does is you can create the same vacuum on the bottom of a pot or a mug after it's been fired the first time so that I can easily dip things into glaze. And and A, it's a happy thing just that I finally bought one and I'm going to get to try it out. But I also, I just love when not just when like weird things can be used as tools or you know for other things but i also kind of love when things that are very specialized tools for one thing are can then be sort of moved over as very specialized tools for something else entirely that the first group of users would never have have imagined. Plus, it's fun to like, ha I suctioned onto a table. I suctioned onto an iPad. Like I've been I've been just like <laughs> vacuum lifting everything in my house. So in that That's way, amazing. it's also it's also fun.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I love when people that are very specialized in a certain way that they're thinking certain Th- their brain is working in a certain way for something and they see something that's made for something completely different. they're like, you know, what would be great for this? Let me go over here and use this random, you know, auto tool for X, Y, and Z. And I just love how people's brains work. I, so I I love in
1: general, the weird, funny things people use for, I mean, for pottery and for glazing. Like some people will uh, blow up a balloon inside a, a, like a mug or a bowl or something so that you can Ooh. dip it carefully down without getting your fingerprints on like the rim or the outside. So many yeah. weird tools. It's hilarious. What's good in the news right now?
0: Right now, I am going to talk about um, my friend Nalina. Now, Nalina is a porcupine of some species that I'm not quite sure, but she lives in the Oregon Zoo which is my... Can I,
1: can I just pause for a second? Yes. One of my favorite pottery tools is actually um, two, three porcupine quills that I got in a weird uh, gift swap one time.
0: That's amazing. So speaking of weird so tools. Cool. Okay, as you yes. as you were. Fantastic. So Nalina is an older porcupine. I think she's like 14 years old. Um, and she gets a lot of exercise by going on walks every day. And My Oregon Zoo, uh, I guess it's not mine, but the Oregon Zoo, which is my local zoo, um, is very good on social media, and they've been showing these videos of the walks that Nalina is taking. And they do that fun
1: little, like, waddle where, like, their butt waddles and then all the quills waddle, and it's like a weird dance. It's so
0: cute. But then she also gets to go visit all of the other animals, too. And it's the cutest thing because... The animals are just kind of like, what is that? (laughs) Like the video that we'll link in the show notes um, from this past week is uh, her walking past the giraffes and some of the monkeys. And the giraffe is just kind of like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) What? Uh, Excuse me, what? And it's just kind of, it's hilarious. And the business of the zoo is... We're not going to get into that discussion or conversation, anything about that. Um, but the fact that they're able to pull these things from their daily life and share it on social media to give people little smiles makes me very happy. And Nolina has a very great like mohawk because <laughs> um, I think because of her age, she's kind of lost some of the quills around her shoulders. It's very funny. I'll actually let me send it to.
1: It's wiggling. And she's yes. she's jumping up the stairs. She's so happy. Do, 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 do. And she <laughs> she has these like kind of like old man eyebrows in the front. Yes. I love everything about this. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll link it in the show notes.
0: Yes, it's pretty great. So yeah, that's my good news for the day. That's very good. There's a lot of good
1: zoo content right now.
0: Yes. Yes, they're really owning the fact that there aren't people so they don't have to worry about like model releases or anything. So they can just kind of do everything. The penguins exploring the zoo is another really good one.
1: I wonder if the
0: social media people are like trying to optimize for the animals that walk the funnest. You know what? I feel like I am imagining a meeting where they're like listing animals that A, are safe. And be like, they can let loose in the zoo. But then they're ranking them by the funnest walks. By, like, waddle factor. Yes, yes. yes. I'm also right. imagining
1: this meeting, and I like it.
0: Yes. I, I, I think it would, you know, there would be some nice pastries. And, of course, everyone's sitting six feet apart. <laughs> and, yeah, I think I. this is my visual now. Uh, somebody said that a good...
1: Um, you know, mnemonic thing is to think that you're one alpaca apart. So now I'm imagining them <laughs> yeah. in a room with one alpaca between each with person. With alpacas
0: around us. <laughs> yep. Headcanon. Mm-hmm. That's how it's going to work. All right, Julia, what is a good thing for today? So I want to tell you about
1: um, different kinds of projects to bring back old species of animals. There's Ooh. this a bigger, more complicated thing. Uh, that's called de-extinction where you try to bring back extinct species um, or in some cases try to you know develop back traits in an animal that are reminiscent of an extinct species. Um, So that's a more complex thing where you use cloning or genome editing or, or what's called backbreeding trying to revert back to certain traits. You don't necessarily get the actual DNA animal back with all of these but basically like when they find some woolly mammoth DNA, an ice, and then they try to put it in an egg and put the egg in a regular modern elephant. Modern elephant is a really so funny basically one. Jurassic Park. Exactly. This is all very Jurassic Park. But that, that's not entirely what I want to talk about. Uh, there's actually a phenomenon called iterative evolution where a species oh. becomes extinct and then reemerges again basically on its own. Uh, it's happened with a bird called the white-throated rail um it's a flightless bird apparently uh it went extinct 136,000 years ago and then reappeared 100,000 years ago what uh obviously it's it's possible that it remained somewhere that we just haven't found traces right. of it but if you just think about the theory of evolution it does suggest that a bird could have re-evolved to where it was so to speak uh this is a sort of take on uh, the selective breeding that we've been doing as humans for thousands and thousands of years, uh, you know, we've chosen and bred animals for certain things we want. It could be more fur, more meat, calmer temperament, snub nose, <laughs> whatever. And <laughs> size. Yeah. And and that, you know, can come with problems because sometimes, and especially before we knew more about like genetic testing and and checking health in general, it has meant that we bred for certain health issues, Mm. and those can be ones that we realize or ones that we don't like you could be like okay well certain dogs can't give birth without a c-section uh or you know we don't understand why so many of these cats have heart defects and it's because like we were trying to breed for this color but that gene is comes with the heart defect gene that kind of thing uh but we've also bred animals that can't necessarily like make it without us they need lots of special efforts for them to do well and that can be that they're not as um they're not as well suited for the climate where we keep them or when you breed sheep to have lots more wool that means that if they escape they can't make it you remember that picture of shrek the escaped <laughs> sheep that's just this like huge yes. ball of wool which is kind of funny but it, but it also you know that is very painful that is dangerous because the sheep is very vulnerable to attack like yes the wolves can't bite bite through it but it's way more vulnerable because it can't move so this can be uh, about reverting sort of to a a form of an animal that needs less effort and resources from humans that's more adapted to the place it's from and lives in Uh, and it can be about wanting to bring out certain sort of local specific traditional or historic traits in an animal and sometimes just to be like well you know, we used to have this, we feel it's important to have some forms of, of traditional, more traditional animal where where we live. Um, the same way that you have places that still will do certain types of crafts, you know, by hand or with really old tools. Right. Just because you want to keep keep that knowledge and keep the results, even though they might technically be seen as, you know, much slower or not as... Um, luxurious and results, but you want to
0: have that knowledge,
1: which, you know, in in the apocalypse is very useful.
0: Yeah, it's true. I I would think this is similar to like heirloom tomatoes. Yeah. too. yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because you we have lots of examples of of plants that have disappeared, sometimes through not necessarily the fault of humans, but also because like carrots originally are very, very small and purple. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all these, I think they still have like some kind of heirloom carrots in places but but so many vegetables are originally much much smaller so the kind of project like this that i know the most about is sheep primarily the original swedish and nordic breeds of sheep uh to be clear sheep are not an original original nordic animal but it's been you know in the tens of thousands of years since they both you know migrated here were domesticated in other places and brought here we had these you know local varieties of sheep and then about four or five hundred years ago they started importing other kinds of sheep primarily from from the uk but other places as well because um there was this thought from different sections of of government and probably the nobility that they didn't think that our own sheep had wool that was soft and luxurious enough uh and they Mm. wanted to breed sheep that gave more wool uh, because you would have, I mean, this was also a time when when textiles in general, you know, over the f- few hundred years after that, where textiles began to be more accessible and you would have more than a few outfits and then you also needed sheep. So over the next couple of hundred years, the, these, you know, smaller, hardier Nordic sheep were almost eradicated, uh, but there always remained a small number of small flocks in some places throughout the country. Uh, and other parts of the Nordics. Uh, Iceland, for instance, hasn't had import of sheep in a few hundred years, but because they've still, um, you know, done their selective breeding there, they're still not um, sort of close to the original Nordic sheep. Uh, so about actually 20 years ago, like there's been certain efforts, but about 20 years ago there, there was this concerted effort to try and, and revive and save some of these breeds on a much larger scale. There's a number of traditional breeds that are preserved in a genome bank, uh, and you can like register your animals there, like with their with their DNA to ensure that this registry correct and that any sale and breeding of sheep, you know, they're truthful and they're keeping in the best interest of the breed, because it's not right. just about like can we make a sheep that looks like this, and then we don't really care how long you can make. You still need healthy animals and a healthy line, right? So uh, they're called in Swedish allmugefår which basically means like folk sheep or peasantry sheep, country sheep. Uh, and that's a collective name for a number of, of uh, specified breeds, which I can pronounce for you if you want, but they're basically named yes, for please. for the specific regions where they were common. Uh, so we have Dala pälsfår, for Får means sheep in Swedish, so that's why I'm going to keep okay. saying that word. Uh, <laughs> Fjällnäsfår, Gästrikefår, Helsingefår, Klövsjöfår, Svärdsjöfår, Tabaktorps for Värmlands for Åsen for and they all have very distinct primarily distinct types of wool uh, that traditionally have also been used for very different things. So you have ones that are used to make um, you know huge tapestries or ones that are used for the outer layer of clothes and the ones that are used for whole like sheepskin rugs that are very good for like pressure sores for instance like you can both put babies and old people Ah. on them so they have very different um different qualities of wool that can be used for very different things and that have a much wider variety than this sort of your generic sort of basic sheep sheep like the sheep that you think of uh, that will, right. will have way more sort of consistent wool, but that won't have that same variety of wool necessarily. There are similar programs in other countries. Uh, Norway in particular is very proud of their their local breeds uh, and very, very proud of their Norwegian wool and wool industry. And obviously you see these kind of projects not just with sheep, but uh, with farm animals, not just in the Nordics. Sheep make a pretty good example because it's not just, it's, it's very visible what the differences are because they have very different colors, right. they have different body shapes, they have different, you know, uh, and I just think it's interesting to you know, both both the parts of it that are about like trying to well, yeah, backbreed is, is the term for it, but like trying to turn back the clock on maybe some of the damage that we have done trying to civilize animals, so to speak, and try to have right. animals that are more suited. Um and that have a, a difference and that aren't all the same. But also just like from a history nerd perspective, it's just interesting to be like, all right, well, we had these animals and we had them traditionally in different parts of the country. Kind of like, you know, certain countries or certain regions will be famous for embroidery and others will be famous for glass blowing And and kind of the same way you had these sheep that were very um, representative of, of where they were from. So I just think it's the whole thing about saving and jurassic parking
0: <laughs> uh right animals like that is is very cool. yeah using the science that we have now to throw it back to a different era almost
1: and also just the science of, tr- of figuring out certain things like from what little we have of extant garments from you know 100 200 800 years ago and what's written about them to figure out like what kind of different fabrics were used for what things and what sheep? Did that mean? And you can see like how much wool did one sheep produce in the middle of the nineteenth century, and then fifty years later, and fifty years later, and fifteen years later, and and all those things that can help us figure out a lot of things about those sheep, even before we were able to find you know DNA traces in whatever the sheep equivalent of amber is, you know?
0: Right, right. That's so
1: cool. So that is uh, my highly scientific. Very educational, completely correct description
0: <laughs> of, of reviving. It's a very, very good thing. Older species. All right. What about your news thing? Give me some news. Give me the news, yeah. Julia. Give me the news. <laughs> What's the scoop, eh? So uh, I'm <laughs> I'm not necessarily a believer in the free
1: market fixing all things. Uh wasn't before, and right now you can see that it makes things weird. Mm-hmm. But there is a new study that suggests that uh, the free market seems to be making coal less and less profitable and may actually eradicate our reliance on it within, say, the next 10 years, because it has become, it's not just the sort of public public opinion about different kinds of fossil fuels, although I'm sure that plays in, but it has become cheaper to invest in and produce and use renewable sources of energy in many parts of the world than coal. Which means that fewer people will invest both in existing and and even more in like new extraction of and refining of and all that of, of coal producing. Which in case it's not clear, I'm sure you understand. But it's a good thing because coal is one of the largest, if not the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. You can't necessarily rely on big businesses to do the right thing. But sometimes the market will... Force them to do good things. So that's a good yes. thing. And there are always good things. You can share your good things, good news, and tiny joys with us at therearegoodthingspod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter as podgoodthings.
0: Our show notes are at therearegoodthings.com. And you will see porcupines. Yes. Lots of porcupines. Well, I guess one Just porcupine one. many different times. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. Thank you.